sometimes it's, it's just kind of fun to read the scriptures and, and let yourself be caught up in the moment, right? So I think, I think our gospel passage today is, is uh, really, I don't know, fascinating might be the word, but I think also enlightening, really enlightening. That's, that's a better word that I want to use. Today's passage is very enlightening because of this, right? So Jesus, uh, just to sort of give us a rehash, I know we just heard it, um, and in seminary they taught us not to do this, to give the rehash of the gospel after we just heard it, but it's going to be okay. So what's going on? Jesus is, is talking to his disciples. He's, he's on the way to Caesarea Philippi. He's saying, like, who, who do they say that I am, right? And they give, it's like, it's like he's taking a poll, right? Well, you know, 35% say that you're John the Baptist and another 20% say that you're Elijah. Like it's, you know, like people are sort of debating about who you are. And then he turns to them and he's like, no, but, but who do you say that I am? In other words, it's, it's as though he's saying to them, but you surely know better than this, right? Like it's, you, you, don't, you don't listen to the crowd, right? Because you spend more time with me, Jesus is saying. You are my disciples, so who do you say that I am? And, and this, is, this is really cool, and it's, it's really key for us, I think, as Catholic Christians. Peter is the one who steps forward and, and speaks, and uh, he says, you are the Christ. Right, and then Mark tells us, then he warned them not to tell anyone about him. We know in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus goes the next step. He says, uh, Simon, uh, I'll read it, because that's just a better thing to do. Oh, I should have marked it down. Uh, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Right, it's, this, it's this, really, uh, this really cool thing for us, right? Because this is Jesus, like this is the moment where he establishes his church. The church, which we say is the Catholic church. Right? We say as Catholic Christians that we are the church that Jesus established upon the rock of Peter. And not just on the rock of Peter, but on his profound profession of faith here in, in that he in spending time with Jesus and apparently praying, right, because it is the Father who has revealed to Peter who Jesus is, right? You are the Christ. And that word Christ means you are the anointed one. You are the one sent by God, proclaimed by the apostles, written about by Isaiah in our first reading that we heard today, right? This, this, this song of the suffering servant, right? Um, I, I have not rebelled. I have not turned back. I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard, my face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. This is, it's as though the Lord is speaking ahead of time words that would have easily come from the mouth of Jesus as he was being scourged and tortured and crucified, right? Peter sees this clearly like, you are this one, the Christ. What a beautiful gift for Peter to see Jesus so clearly. And in fact, it's such a beautiful gift that we need to beg the Lord if we're not able to see Jesus this clearly yet, 
We need to beg the Lord that our eyes may be opened to seeing him who he is, as though Jesus turns to you and he asks you the same question, who do you say that I am? Now, hopefully we can answer with Peter, right? Hopefully we are able, by the revelation of the Father to us, we can say with Peter, you are the Christ. But if we're not able to say that, right, and we need to answer this question honestly, right, not just to pay the Lord lip service, but to answer it honestly in my heart and in your heart, hopefully we can say with Peter, I truly believe that you are the Christ, that you are the anointed one of God who was promised from the beginning through the prophets, the one who has come to save us and set us free. What a profound moment for Peter and the, the, the other apostles for that moment. He speaks on their behalf. It's not as though Peter is the only one who sees this and the others don't. No, Peter speaks on behalf of the other apostles to say, we believe that you are the Holy One of God. Now, this is where the passage, I think, it's incredibly fascinating, incredibly fascinating, because it's, it re- this is where it's enlightening, I think. It reveals something to us, right? Because then what happens? Jesus, it says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and rise after three days. Then it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. To rebuke him means like he gave him a good talking to. Right? The, the gospel writers don't, don't mention what Peter said exactly, but like to imagine this, right? So one minute he's saying, he's professing this deep, profound moment of profession where he's saying, you are the Christ, the anointed one of God. And the very next moment, he finds himself rebuking the anointed one of God, telling him how things are actually going to play out as though he's totally forgotten that he just professed Jesus to be the Christ, to be the one sent from heaven. As though the one sent from heaven doesn't know how things are actually going to play out. Right? This, is, this is fascinating, and it's in, this is what's enlightening to me, I think. A couple of things. One, it shows us that a person, no matter how deep their faith is, any one of us, is liable to to lapsing in our faith. It shows us that any one of us, no matter how strong our faith might be right now, one hour from now, or perhaps even 10 minutes from now, it's possible for us to actually get so distracted to the point that we completely lose sight of who Jesus is. And I'm willing to bet that, that most of us know this, actually. I can tell you, like, I know this so profoundly in my own life, how one minute, in fact, I was just praying about this this morning, like, when I pray in the morning, I am so eager to just, like, tackle the day and live with Jesus all day long, where I'm going to take extra time for prayer later on in the day. I might stop whatever I'm doing to read scripture. I might uh, take extra time for spiritual reading, whatever it is. I'm just, in the morning when I pray, I am so eager and ambitious to do the things of God throughout the day. 
And then within a matter of a couple of hours, the day catches up to me and I get distracted and I find myself doing the same old things that I did the day before and the day before and the day before. Right? Peter shows us in the Gospels how easy it is for us to lapse in our faith. And at the same time, we know this because Peter is Saint Peter, after all, that no matter when we have, whenever we have lapses, we can always turn back to the Lord. We can always repent of our sins. We can repent of our distractions, of our worldliness, whatever it may be, and turn back to the Lord and begin to live for him again. Right, so I think that's the first lesson, is that no matter how strong our faith is, we're all subject to, to, to lapses. And perhaps that can be an invitation for us to become more aware or more um, sober in our thoughts about how we're living our life for Jesus. The second lesson for me that, that stood out the most is this, that Peter, obviously, when he speaks of Jesus as the Christ, he has a clear understanding and idea of who God is. In other words, he's accurate about his thoughts about God and about Jesus. But in the very next moment, he has false ideas about who God is and who Jesus is. Right? So for me, this is, this is the main lesson. It's, it's that it's actually very possible for us, for you and for me, to have false ideas about God. Right? And we know this. Sometimes it's false ideas in in a way that can actually be quite surprising to us. Sometimes it can be like, well, I just really feel like God has it out for me. I just, or I just, I really feel like God, like he stopped loving me and now I need to earn his love, right? That's actually a false idea about God. And so for me, it can actually be really surprising and positive for me to find out like, no, like God doesn't actually stop loving me. I might stop living in his grace, but that doesn't mean that he stops loving me. And I, I can't earn my salvation. It's a free gift that he wants to give me. Now, yes, I can, I can forfeit my salvation through my actions, of course, but, but nonetheless, like, it's not something that I can earn. It's not something, like, I can't make God love me more than he, he loves me right now. That's actually a really positive thing. In other times, it can be really surprising in, in negative ways, right? So how many times do you hear people say like, well, I feel like God doesn't really mind if I do this. I feel, like, I feel like God doesn't mind if I miss Mass on Sundays. I feel like God doesn't mind if I have different thoughts about this subject or that compared to the church. Right, so in, in that case, or we could even just take the next paragraph, right? I feel like God doesn't mind if I don't deny myself. I feel like God doesn't mind if I don't make sacrifices or if I don't do penance. Well, well, actually, brothers and sisters, Jesus is very clear in our gospel passage that if we want to follow him, we must do self-denial, acts of self-denial, right? So what happens when you and I have some clear ideas about God and accurate ideas about God, but actually have false ideas about God? Well, there actually is an invitation from the Lord to bring our minds into conformity with his. Right? Our feelings, my feelings and yours, can actually be incredibly deceptive. Our feelings, they're important and they need to be acknowledged, absolutely. But sometimes they can be incredibly deceptive. To the point that if we catch ourselves saying, well, I feel like God doesn't mind if I... That's actually, potentially, my feelings 
leading me away from Jesus. Which hopefully you see, if, if we truly believe that he's the Christ, hopefully you see that that's incredibly problematic. And so it's, it's in moments like that when our feelings are maybe leading us away from the Lord, or we're not actually sure if our feelings are leading us away from the Lord or toward him, this is actually where the church is incredibly helpful. And this is why we can't talk about this passage from Mark without talking about Matthew's version of it, where Jesus establishes his church because, brothers and sisters, it's his church, that is the Catholic church, that is being guided by him through the Holy Spirit to teach you and me all things. And so for you and for me, if we're, if we're feeling like we, we want to believe one thing, it's actually incredibly important for us to lean into the church to find out if our feelings are leading us astray or toward the Lord. And if they're leading us astray, that is, if my feelings are leading me to have thoughts that run contrary to what the Catholic Church teaches, that is, what Jesus teaches, then I need to change my mind rather than stand in opposition to that church. Right? For us as Catholic Christians, it is incredibly important for us to form our minds. St. Paul even talks about this in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not be conformed to this age, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may know what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. It is through the transformation of our minds to having a rightly ordered mind that we can then rightly order our wills in our actions. Because brothers and sisters, if you and I, at the end of the day, if you and I stand in opposition to the church of God about any given teaching, that's incredibly problematic. And that's not to say that, you know, like we have to perfectly agree with everything, right? Because there are, there are things in the Bible that I don't, I don't like. Like, I don't like self-denial. I don't like having to do acts of penance. I don't like some of the things the church teaches, but I'm willing because I see that Jesus is the Christ and that the Catholic church is his church. And it's his church that's going to lead me to salvation, because of that, I'm willing to conform my mind, to change my mind and my way of thinking so that I can begin to think more and more clearly the way that God thinks. So that I'm not hearing the same rebuke from Jesus who says, you are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Can you, can you hear within that actually a challenge from the Lord that you and I can actually think like God? What an amazing challenge, an amazing invitation, an amazing gift. And yet there are times in my life, and I'm willing to bet there are times in your life, when you actually are willing, when I'm willing to settle into thinking just like other human beings do. I'm willing to settle and to think like the crowd when in fact Jesus wants me to think like he does. What a gift, and yet what a challenge. So actually I want to, I want to, I want to invite us all this week, and for the rest of our lives, right? This isn't a, a week after week kind of thing. This is a rest of our lives kind of thing. I want to invite us and challenge us 
to make sure we include in our religious practices, to include in our spiritual lives a regular habit of study. To study what the church thinks and teaches. To go home and not rely only on your feelings, but actually to like open up like the catechism, to open up the Bible, to open up different documents from the church and to study like what is it that the church teaches about marriage? What is it that the church teaches about abortion? What is it the church teaches about sexuality, about the need to come to Mass every week? What is it the church teaches about self-denial, about tithing and stewardship? What is it the church teaches about fasting, about confession, about the sacraments, about the Christian life in general, right? To, To make it a regular habit so that you and I are always learning more and more and more, that our minds are being formed according to the mind of God and not according to the mind of the world. So that more and more and more the church of God can actually share in the divine mind. What a gift that we have as Catholic Christians. Brothers and sisters, let's take advantage of that gift. So that as we come to know Jesus more and more, we can also love him more and more and receive his love.